I don't know how far this subject is uh, impacting you. I just pray that you receive impartation to enable you walk with regards to the purpose of the armor. The reason why we have to put on the whole armor of God. Amen. Amen. Okay. We're going tonight to still deal with verse 14 of Ephesians 6 on the whole armor of God. And uh, our subtopic, if you will, should be the breastplate of righteousness. That's what we want to deal with tonight. Breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6, verse number 14. The breastplate of righteousness. Okay. Is this okay? You can walk with this. I'd like you to look at this picture just a little bit. Amen. Now, if you look at this picture, you find that the best way for me to illustrate it for you now is to... How many of you have seen some of these uh, military guys on roadblock? Maybe police or military guys on roadblock. You find that the chest and the bag are fatter than they should be. Is that okay? Now they are wearing bulletproof. Is that all right? Okay. By the early times, it was something like this. Uh, it wasn't more of a bulletproof stuff, but something that can resist arrows and spears and all that kind of stuff. Is that all right? Amen. Okay. So that's what we're going to be dealing with tonight. So just quickly turn to the book of Ephesians uh, 6.14. And then we'll read what is there. It says, stand here for... Having your lines get about with truth, we dealt with that last week, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Is that okay? And don't forget, I may mention this to you. I did mention this to you that uh, Paul wrote this, getting the picture from the Roman soldiers while he was in prison. You could see the way they were dressed, and he translated what it was seen into spiritual reality by revelation. And that is one of the ways I think we should also walk. That we can see things, just like the scriptures say, first natural, then spiritual. We can see natural things, but we can translate them into spiritual reality for our own good. And for the understanding of our walk with and in the Lord. Amen? So Paul saw these Roman soldiers and was able to see the whole picture, all of the gadgetry of this uh, Roman soldiers, and he began to pick each of those weapons and put them into spiritual application. So you have the sword of the spirit, you have the word of God, and you have the breastplate of righteousness, you have the helmet of salvation. All of these were depicted in the Roman soldiers' gadgetry for warfare. Is that all right? Amen. Okay, now, uh, tonight, like I said, we're dealing with the issue of the breastplate of righteousness. So, let's see. What is righteousness? If we just want to define it from that place, uh, the word righteousness means equity of character or acts. Equity of character or acts, especially Christian justification, a righteousness. And it's from the root word, innocent. In other words, to have an upright standing with God. Innocent. I'm also interested in that. Okay, a justification in relation to the fact that 
when you receive the righteousness which comes from God, you are justified from your past. Automatically, you become innocent. You are, you are not only totally acquitted. How do I put this? I just want to think this. Your past is no longer to be reckoned with. Hallelujah. You are justified from your past. So from that instant, you are innocent. Are you here with me? Innocent of every other thing or anything that should have stood against you or that should have been counted on your record as to maybe going to the law courts, going to the judgment seat, whatever the case may be, obliterated, and then you are innocent from that moment that you receive justification from the Lord. So you become righteous. Amen? Are you there? Okay. Now, again, the word righteousness is a word of very extensive usage. I want you to understand this. It's got an extensive usage. It signifies the principle of righteousness, the practice of righteousness, or living a holy life. It also means God's method of justifying sinners. And it signifies justification itself. Hallelujah. I'm still trying to explain to you what is righteousness. Hallelujah. You see, I want you to go through. Its, it's, it's application is very extensive. Right? When you use the word righteousness, it has an extensive application. But there are a few things I would like you to know there. The practice of righteousness. In other words, when you become righteous, there is a demand on you to practice righteousness. Is that okay? There is a place for you receiving it, and there is a place for you living it. The practice of righteousness. I want you to understand that because it's very, very important. In other words, when you receive Christ, you walk in Christ. Your practice is your walk in Christ. And maybe next week we'll go a little bit on that, on how you are supposed to live out righteousness, as the case may be. Because basically it's not necessarily uh, a code of conduct. It's not. Adam's life was not a code of conduct. Is that okay? I don't know if you're this. Yeah. Adam's life was flowing in and through you. It was not a code of conduct. Therefore, righteousness cannot be a code of conduct. But it's just a life of God flowing in and through you who have received righteousness. Amen? Okay. So, as we talk about the pride of righteousness or living a holy life, it also means God's method for, of justifying sinners and is uh, signified justification itself. Okay. Um, in Ephesians 6, like I, I'm trying to say, it does imply having a consciousness of justification through the blood of the cross. 
the principle of righteousness or true holiness implanted in the heart with a life regulated and guided according to the testimonies the living word of God as far as Ephesians 6 14 is concerned the implication here is you having the consciousness of justification through the blood of Jesus are you following me? In other words, you live your life with an understanding that your past is gone in Christ. You should carry that consciousness every day. One of the major reasons why you have to carry that is because your past world is going to speak to you. Now you can understand why Paul says, the life that I live in the flesh is no longer I that live it, but Christ that lives the life through me. The faith of the Son of God. Is that okay? Yeah. That is bringing yourself. Now, some of the statement I believe that Paul was making was because certain things were trying to hook onto him. He would go and say, forgetting the past. Why was he emphasizing all of that? Because it's like reminding himself, or somebody want to remind him of his past. I was a murderer. I was this. I was that. But he said, forgetting the past or pressing forward. Is that all right? You must come consciously, if I may use Maxwell's statement, deliberately walk in the consciousness of a justified being. Are you there? Because we are talking about an animal, we're talking about warfare, we're talking about protecting yourself. So if you don't have the consciousness of a justified fellow, you always have guilt. Are you following? Now if you live in guilt, you cannot, you cannot manifest the Christ that lives in you. Are you there? So here we're talking about true holiness implanted in the heart with a life, we're talking about a life regulated and guided according to the testimonies, which is the living word of God. Now I'm going to say a little bit more on that as we progress, but understand this. The life of righteousness that we live is directly connected to what God says. All right? It's connected to what God says. In fact, it is what God says. Our life is regulated, bonded, guided by the word of God. I will explain more on that. The word could be the logos or it could be the rhema. Where you can reach out to the rhema, as it doesn't come to you, the logos can walk. But the problem with the logos is you come to a place where the logos become legalism. I will explain. But let's just make progress. What are we supposed to retain in our heart always? Hallelujah. There are some things we need to retain in our heart. What are these things that we're supposed to retain in our heart always? Let's get at Ephesians 3, verse number 17. Ephesians 3, 17. 
That Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. That ye be rooted and grounded in love. Okay? Christ may do what? Dwell in your heart by faith. Praise the Lord. I go to Colossians 1. And we'll look at 21 to 23. Colossians 1, 21 to 23. And you, that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind. Now understand and, and, and pick it out where you were supposed to have been the enemy of God. Where? In your mind. Your thinking, your understanding, your knowledge. You were enemies in your mind by wicked works. Are we together? Yet now had he reconciled. To be reconciled us now, reconciled you. In the body of his flesh through that to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now I want you to know those words. Unblameable or reproachable. These are the principles of justification. In his sight you are not to be blamed. Amen. You are not to be reproved. By reason of what he has done. 23 says. If ye continue in the faith. Grounded and settled. And be not moved away. From the hope of the gospel. Which you have heard. And which was preached to every creature. Which is under heaven. Whereof I Paul am a minister. Now I would like to take this from the Amplified. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. Our implication, if you look at a case study, you can read meanings or you can read or you can find answers to a situation when you look at a case study. Is that all right? Now God is saying you are a case study of what himself have done in relation to justification. And he says, at one time, you all had your backs turned on God. Thinking rebellious thoughts of him. Giving him trouble every chance he got. But now, by giving himself completely at a cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lights together, whole and body in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust. Constantly turned or tuning to the message. Carefully not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message. Just this one. Every creature under heaven get this same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. Christ-centered message. No other message. Hallelujah. And it says, you must not get distracted from the Christ-centered message. 
what is it that we're talking about? That Christ took you from where you were, brought you to the side of God. So the enmity was broken, and you must walk in that consciousness that God is not angry with you. Do you understand this? That is the one message. God is not angry with you. One bit. Why? Because of what Jesus did. So your thinking must shift from God being angry with you all the time to God loving you because of what Jesus did. Hallelujah. And why is this so? Ephesians 2.22 says, For you have been built together for an habitation of God through what? God wants to dwell in your life. But God is resident in your life, if you will. Is that okay? You are a temple of the living God. He resides in your life. He wants to express himself through you. Emmanuel, God with us. If God be for us, who can be against us? You must come to that consciousness. That's what a breastplate is all about. That awareness, that deliberate believing and knowing God is in my life. God is resident in me. I am justified. He wants to live his life through me. I can walk in righteousness by reason of how he guides and dictates my life. Scripture says those that are born of the spirit, they are like the wind. The wind can't tell where it's going. You, you can't tell. You can only hear the sound. It means in the true sense, everyone that is born of the, of the spirit of God does not have control of himself. Is that okay? And when you begin to live that kind of life, you live in a righteousness. That's what I'm saying. Put on these AC. Some people are saying. Put on this. You have to confess what you believe. <laughs> Hallelujah. You have to confess what you believe, confess what you want. Amen? Say so we believe, so we speak. Is that not the Bible? Yeah, we believe, so we speak. So we speak what we believe. So put on the AC. Okay. All right. The breastplate. Let's take a look at this. I want to give you some picture here. Uh, the breastplate of a soldier I don't know if we have an image for that The breastplate of a soldier serves to protect his chest From the darts of the enemy shot at him Most especially when his sheet is lowered Either consciously or unconsciously Is that alright? Are you listening? The breastplate Which is what I was trying to describe to you Look at those military guys and then you've seen these uh, uh, the bulletproof stuff. That's a breastplate. Is that okay? No. It's meant to protect your heart, your chest region. Is that all right? Against every weapon of the enemy. Right. And don't, thank you, Father. Don't you understand? Your heart, out of it, flows what? Life. Is that okay? Life comes out of it. Destruction comes out of it. Now, you are protecting it from destructive information or seeds 
Are you still there? Okay. Let's make some progress. Meaning that in battle, the breastplate, which is righteousness now, is a supportive weapon to shield, which is faith, as an instrument of defense against harm. Now, you know the shield of faith. This breastplate of righteousness. But you also know the shield of faith. Is that okay? Right. So these two instruments or these two weapons are meant to protect you. With a shield on your left hand, you can always defend. How many of you often watch this riot policeman? When a riot policeman comes out, you see they carry this shield. Is that okay? So when you stone them, they use the shield to block. Fine. That's just what we're talking about. Now, just in case anything misses the shield, assuming you want to really get to you now, that there is something that seals up your chest from that which you cannot protect yourself from with the shield from touching you. So even if it comes, it's going to hit on your breastplate. Are you getting the picture? All right. So you see, you need those two instruments. You need a shield. You need a breastplate. When you miss your protection, your defense with the shield, maybe there, if the if the arrow, whatever is shot against you, gets past your shield, and that because you couldn't put it on on time, your own breastplate should be able to protect your life. Did you understand what I'm saying? So for you to survive, you need those two armors. The shield of faith and what? The breastplate of righteousness. We're going to be dealing with the shield of faith much later. But now we're dealing with breastplate of righteousness. Is that okay? The breastplate is closer to your heart than the shield. The, 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 the shield, which is the faith stuff, you can easily handle anytime. But in case you couldn't protect yourself and the missile gets close enough to you, your breastplate should be able to defend you. Is that all right? Okay. Let's make progress. As a breastplate defends the heart and lungs and all those vital organs of the region called the thorax, which has to do with the chest, like the bulletproof, so this righteousness, this life of God in the soul of man, defends everything on which the man's spiritual existence depends. You know, your life is dependent on most of the vital organs within your chest. Remember that? You have your lungs here. You have your heart here. Huh? Your heart and your lungs are all where? Within the cavity of your chest. Is that okay? Right. So, the vital organs of your life, which, which you walk in God, are meant to be protected by these two weapons, but especially the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, righteousness preserves you. Are you there? As you mean you miss anything by faith, you can still survive through what? Righteousness. I want you to understand it because it's very important. 
Righteousness preserves your life. Amen? Now, the eternal life, which is the Christ of God, according to John chapter 17, 1 to 3, of the believer is secured, therefore, why he possesses this principle of righteousness and acts from it. Is that all right? Hallelujah. Our life is in Christ. Remember, the Bible says, when he who is alive shall condemn, shall we appear with him in glory. Is that okay? Christ is our life. Now, the life we have received, which is supposed to be seated within us, can only be protected and preserved as we walk and live in what? The righteousness. Amen? Praise the Lord. So, our major defense is the Christ spirit within our hearts from being either contaminated or being shifted from the centrality of his message as we receive another gospel. I want you to understand. What are we trying to defend? What are we trying to protect? We are trying to protect the Christ life that is already within us. We are trying to protect the message that will sustain the Christ life that is within us. Now the Bible says evil communication does what? Corrupt good manners. So we are talking about when you walk in the righteousness of God, there are some things that you cannot receive and believe that will corrupt the life that is in you and lead you into something else. Hallelujah. One of that is what we just mentioned. Now, I have no problem with people. I have only been saying this. I have no problem. Anybody can do anything, deliverance, whatever. But talking about the bloodline and all of those things. But the point is, if truly your past is still running after you and still working in your life, you are not justified. You are just not justified. You are trying to tell me that the blood of your father or whatever is stronger than what Jesus came to do. I mean, that, that is something I can't accept. I'm not against anybody believing that. I'm not against it. You are free to. Okay? You are free to. But, I think I should be living in righteousness. I think I should be living with a consciousness of me being justified from everything right through Adam. To my biological parents. I'm justified from everything they ever did. And I live in that consciousness. That there is nothing of my past. That can stretch his hands and touch me. Touch my children or touch my future. Nothing of my past. Hallelujah. See in, in Isaiah 6. The Bible says, He saw this angel that came to the coal of fire, the tongues, and touched his, his lips, and said, From today, your iniquities are purged, and your sins forgiven. Did he say so? Simple. Now, often we think the fire is for something else. Basically, the fire is to burn off the chaff of the old man. So, sometimes we pray for a battle of the Holy Spirit. What, what do you think? When the fire came on the day of Pentecost, it was not just for speaking in tongues, it was burning out their old nature. The understanding of the present may be done on them. Remember, they asked the question When will God restore the kingdom to Israel? Will it be when you come again? He simply said, Tarry here. Is that okay? It's not for me to tell you. But when the promise of the Father comes, you will know. Praise the Lord. 
Let's look at Galatians and see something. Here. <coughs> Galatians 1. I read from verse 6. I marvel that you are soon removed from him. I call you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another but there be some that trouble you I will pervert the gospel of Christ my goodness but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you that that which we have preached unto you let him be our cause hallelujah what is Paul fighting against here? He's not fighting against devils. He's fighting against ministers. Do you understand me? He's fighting against people who are coming to tell these people that there is something else they probably could do or should do to be able to have the life of Christ. And he calls that another gospel. Hallelujah. Anything that removes you from him. Anything that takes him from the center is another gospel. Any message that does not emphasize him is another gospel. Now, I'm sure I mentioned this to you sometime when the Bible says, if a man preach or prophesy with his head covered, he dishonored his head. Have I mentioned that to you before? Do you know what it means? The head of every man is Christ. So when you cover your head, it means you are covering Christ in your message. Instead of proclaiming Christ, you're covering him and exposing yourself. Automatically, you become an antichrist. It becomes another gospel. It's the head that you are covering. So it's not wearing a cap. I was speaking to somebody sometimes. So if that if that is what you true, because you told me you, you believe the word literally. If I also believe with you literally, but you incidentally you're a bishop. A bishop we are cap ministry. So means you are dishonoring the head. Is that what it means? Because bishops are putting on cap. Am I right? Praise God. And there's uh, some priests also, priests were ministering, putting on cards. Huh? And the most holy place, the high priest, was there with the turban or whatever. So, just already in here. That's all he's saying. The head of every man is Christ. In other words, when you're doing ministry, Christ should be exposed. But when you expose yourself in place of Christ or something else, you are covering your head. That's what it means. He didn't say cover your hair, he say your head. You should understand the language of the Bible. And just like Elisha was being told, don't you know your head shall be taken away from you? It was not his head. What would be held him? No. But Elijah was his head. So hair speaks of mastership. Hair speaks of rulership. Hair speaks of authority. Is that okay? Praise the Lord. So here we find the Bible telling us precisely that if any gospel comes to you, that does not emphasize Christ or cannot make you get more connected to Christ is another gospel. Anything that brings fear and unbelief into your life is another gospel. 
anything that brings doubt to the faith that you have come into is another gospel. Are you getting me? I, I, I don't know exactly what Paul means here. Let him be a cause. That a cause should be upon his head. I don't know. But understand how he felt. Is that okay? Understand how he felt. The language will tell you how he felt within himself. Hallelujah. Okay, let's take another question. What ought to be our righteousness and how do we obtain it? What is our righteousness and how do we obtain this righteousness that we must protect? Defend by all costs. If, if need be, with the last, last drop of our blood. Like some people will say, and actually they give the blood to Deuteronomy 23. What ought to be our righteousness? Are you there? Okay. So, Deuteronomy, and then we got uh, chapter 6. Are we okay? Are we okay? All right. Okay. So, chapter 6, fine. All right. All right. So, now we read. And he brought us out from things that he might bring us in to give you the land which is swore unto our fathers and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And it shall be what? Come on, are you there with me? It shall be what? Our righteousness. If we do what? Observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Now, I want you to see the simple definition, even from the old, of all righteousness means. That's why I'm saying righteousness is not a code of conduct. But righteousness is simply obeying what God commands. Amen? Moses said, it shall be our righteousness. If we follow on to keep all the commandments and the status which God has given unto us. And then it shall preserve us alive. Praise the Lord. Now if you look at Romans 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that does what? So you see, righteousness is directly connected to belief. Amen? You can't believe, I mean, you can't obey until you first believe. Hallelujah. Are you following me? Moses said, if we keep these laws and these statutes and walk by that which God says, that becomes our righteousness. And Paul is saying, it's no longer keeping the statutes and those judgments, but believing into the Christ who is now the end of the law. What does that mean? In your trust in Christ, you fulfill the law because he leads you to do those things which pleases the Father. 
Are you understanding me? We have already said before, it has to do with guiding you on a daily basis. Justification and righteousness. A life that is being guided by the Spirit of Christ. So when you say Christ is the end of the law, what he's trying to say is, instead of you counting all the laws at your fingertips, if you trust into Christ, you unconsciously fulfill the laws. Okay. Look at it this way. The laws God said he was going to write in your heart. Did he say so? Hebrews 8. Now where does Christ, where does, where does Christ dwell? There you are. So now the law and the Christ himself, they are in one place. Where? In your heart. And from that heart, there's going to be a life released. So you see what it means? For Christ or God to guide you. While he lives there as a king in your heart, he causes you to walk in the precept of those commandments unconsciously to you. That is why your trust and reliance should be on him. To enable you to live out the righteousness of God. You can obey God without you struggling to obey God. Hallelujah. If you look at John 15, verse, uh, John 14, 15, the Bible says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Remember what he said in Deuteronomy 6? If we keep his commandments, we are what? Righteous people. Okay. Now, verse 23 of the same chapter says, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, And my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Are you getting that? Now, if God begins to live his life through you, what else could you ever be in this life? The righteous being. Because it's not just a matter of living and sleeping there, he's living to express himself through you. Therefore, it comes to play where it's no longer you trying to keep his laws, but he himself living his laws through you. It's an expression of himself who is the author of those laws. Through the spirit within you, your unconscious, like I said, fulfills his laws and rejoices within you because he himself and the son now take precedence in your life. So in the true sense, you are moving tabernacle of the Lord. Amen. But it comes from he that loves me. Keep my commandments. So now we can think of, oh, Lord come, Holy Spirit come, Jesus come. Now you say, you don't need to say all of that. Just love me. Is that okay? You don't need to pray, oh Lord come. No. Just express your love towards me. And that draws me. Towards you. Hallelujah. Love can propel anybody. Love can draw anybody. And that you know. Even in your home, in your family. Marriage, whatever. Love can. Hallelujah. 
Now look at First Corinthians one, verse number thirty. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us what wisdom. Now if you go to Deuteronomy chapter four, you're going to find the same principle when he says there is no nation like this that have judgment like you, and those judgments will become what the wisdom. Can you get that? No, it's the words. The words God gave in terms of the law became wisdom. Now, God is saying here, Christ had made, I mean, God has made Christ to become what? Wisdom for us and what? Righteousness and sanctification and what? Redemption. Now, righteousness is the same thing as what? Justification, like we said before. In Deuteronomy 4, the word was the wisdom of the Israelites. In Deuteronomy 6, the word was the righteousness of the Israelites. So the word of God made flesh produces God's righteousness in your life. Hallelujah. It doesn't only produce righteousness in your life, it produces also wisdom in your life. Praise the living God. Now, I'll just go a little bit far because of time here. The word righteousness in this place Meaning, our justification, which he obtained for us. That very remission of sin, which the law could not give. Is what we're talking about. Is that okay? When he says, God has made him our righteousness, wisdom for us, justification for us. Everything the law could not do, he did through the cross. Now we obtain what the law was saying you can obtain if you obey me. Are you see that? We're supposed to keep the laws to become wise. According to Deuteronomy 4. We're supposed to keep the laws to become righteous. According to Deuteronomy 26. Are you following what I'm saying now? Now but by receiving him, we receive all of those things without keeping any one of them in that sense. But now, we only need to obey what he says. Out of love, not out of compulsion. He said, the acid test to prove that you love me is to keep my commandments. Don't say, Lord, I love you. That is not what he's looking for. He's looking for you walking in the obedience of what he says. Hallelujah. Meaning, what am I trying to say? Our righteousness is the revealed word of God to us body logos and the rima that comes to us part time i want you to understand what i'm trying to say when i talk about logos the bible the word you have in your hand is the logos is that all right in the beginning was the word when you say the beginning was the word that word was logos in the beginning was the logos but when you go to romans when he says romans 10 Faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That word, word is Rema. Now, the Logos is for everybody. The Bible. What's your Bible? Okay. This one, this page, this thing you see, is for everybody. Is that all right? Are you listening to me? Okay. This is the Logos. Oh, this one. The beginning was the word. The one was the God was it? Everything you see here is the Logos. Is that all right? From Genesis to Revelation is the Logos. But 
if God peradventure in the course of your meditation gives you a particular scripture he just speak a word to you and you find that he's giving you he's quoting a scripture to you once you pick that scripture for your life becomes a remnant are you listening now God can guide you reading the logos but it is easy not to walk with the logos I mean it's, it's a little bit more dangerous or more difficult to walk with the logos we may use the word because more or less it becomes all of laws all through but when it becomes rhema it becomes specific and especially to specific situations about your life now I'm going to bring you to certain understanding we have to come to the conclusion that when we say who is the righteous man is a man that walks by what God reveals to him it doesn't matter whether other people sees it or not to God is a righteous man now let me just show you this from the life of Abraham that's what I'm saying righteousness is not a code of conduct it's not some letters, some documents, some pages of something you read. No, that is not what righteousness means. It's not necessarily the way you appear, of course. If that being the practice of righteousness, it is as God leads you. If you truly have Christ within you, He won't allow you to dress like a prostitute, for instance, like the ladies. He won't allow you to do that. So it's not me to tell you. It has to be Him in your life to tell you. And they are righteous person. Are you still there? Praise God. Look at Genesis 15. Verse number 5. God was speaking now. And he brought him forth. Abroad and said. Look now towards heaven. And tell the stars. If thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Who is speaking? God. To who? Okay. And Abraham did what? Believe the Lord. And what happened? He counted it to him for what? For righteousness. Okay. Go to James 2. And verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled. Which said, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for what? For righteousness and was called the friend of God. Did you see anything there? What did Abraham do? God simply said, hey, come on, come here, come here. I want to make of you a great nation. Is that okay, Sarah? Look at his stars. Huh? If you can count them. If you can count them. And look at the sound of the seashore. Can you count them? That is how your children would be. And everyone said, Lord, I believe. Say, you are a righteous man. From today, you are a righteous man. Did you get that? What did Abraham do? <laughs> it's easy. It's easy. So, if God tells me today, David, get out of this city. So another city that I will show you and I come here to announce to you the Lord asked me to leave Wari City maybe to go to Obiaro which is another city 
and live the rest of my life in Obiaro. I said, what is wrong with this man? But as far as God is concerned, I'm a righteous man. It doesn't require me going to investigate whether Obiaroko is fruitful or fertile. If it is he who speaks, and I can go down this time. Once a thing is revealed to you, and you walk by the revelation that is given to you, you are a righteous man. Are you still there? Let's try to finish this. But you get the example of Abraham there. Is it simple? Abraham was such a righteous man. You know what? And that's how I was telling you the other time. No, Genesis 15, God told him this. But when you get to Genesis 18, I mean 17, remember what, he, what he's beginning to do? When God said, walk with me and be thou perfect. What was it? His own breastplate was dropping. In Genesis 15, he believed he was a righteous man. But when he come to Genesis 17, Genesis 16, after Ishmael had been given birth to, Eliezer is there, and Isaac have not come. Doubts begin to arise. Unbelief begin to arise. And God said, hey, I want to get to the finish with you. You better walk with me and be thou perfect. You know, come to the place of maturity in your thinking. Stop thinking that I can't fulfill what I said. Amen. I believe when the Bible says God, Abraham did not stagger out faith. Understand this from this point. It is simply because God said this to him, just like God, Jesus, spoke to Peter. Satan have decided to sift you as wheat but i'll pray for you that when you are strengthened when you recover yourself strengthen the brethren peter will have lost completely faith after he denied jesus without coming to the place of repentance the prayer that jesus prayed for peter was what made him to repent are you following what i'm talking about? and that's because god wanted to do a thing wanted to get a finishing with him the same thing with Abraham. I can't. I've made the promise. The way you are going, oh, I will lose you. And the promises I've made will no longer come to pass. Now you better walk before me and be thou perfect. Take up your shield and take up your breastplate. Don't allow those misery of negative thought because of Ishmael to come into your heart. Hallelujah. Because before me, you are a righteous man because you simply believe in me. And I'm going to perfect my will through you. Everything I've shown you, I'll bring it to pass. I'm speaking to you tonight. Is there anything God has spoken to you? Don't ever doubt it. No matter how long it takes, God will fulfill his word in your life. Unless he has not spoken it. Hallelujah. Okay. Let's see if we can finish now. Praise the Lord. So it is his belief on that what God told him that made him to be called a righteous man. Hey. So what you protect is every word that the Father has spoken or will ever speak to you. Your belief in it makes you what? A righteous man. And that just guarantees your life in this world. Is that alright? Righteousness will preserve you. And that means whatever thing God says to you that you believe into brings protection and preservation to you in this life. That is why first, 
cannot die in the hands of a man. Because there are things that he has said that we are looking onto to bring to pass. Are you listening to me? Final word, Proverbs 11, verse 31. Final scripture. Proverbs 11, 31. Behold, say, look, 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 look at it. The righteous shall be recompensed in the earth. I like that. Who are the righteous? Those who believe whatever thing God says. Hallelujah. The righteous shall be recompensed in the earth. Not in heaven. Not when they die. Not tomorrow. Now. Now can I show you what recompense means there? You had one recompense on Sunday. Now here comes another recompense. Hallelujah. It's a season of recompense there. God is speaking. Look at it. Recompense, I mean shalom. Or shalom. Which means to be safe in mind, body, or estate. Hallelujah. Figuratively, to be made completed. To be friendly. To be reciprocated, if you will. Make amend, make good, made to be at peace, or to be peaceable. That is perfect, perform. Made to be prosperous. The righteous man shall be made prosperous in the earth. Who is the righteous man? He that believes whatever thing God says. If you love me, keep my commandment. You know the work in what I say. I will recompense you on the earth. Now we can see how Abraham was recompensed on the face of the earth. Why? Because he was what? Righteous. He was blessed beyond measure. Can you see where the prosperity of Abraham came from now? Can you see how that he got wisdom to be able to do business to the point that thousands became, I mean, slaves and people were working for him, cattle and whatever. Oh my. God made him prosperous because he was a righteous man. And what did he do to be righteous? Believe whatever thing God says. I promise you today, and I guarantee you from the word of God. Whatever thing God says, walk in it. Whatever direction is given to you, walk in it. Believe in the dreams he gives to you in the night. Trust in the revelation he gives to you. Walk in what he says. He shall make you prosperous on the face of the earth. He will make you sand in your mind and sand in your body. Sickness is more definitely gone. That is part of the guarantee of being a prosperous man, of being a righteous man, of being a man that walks in whatever thing God says. Hallelujah. God bless you.